Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inside Social Work Podcast. In today's episode, I interview Laura Rowan, who's the co-founder and general manager of Friends for Good. Laura has a background in community development, which spans over 15 years. And one of the things she's really passionate about is tackling loneliness. And we know that loneliness doesn't discriminate. And there's a lot of barriers for people admitting that they're lonely or they're missing human contact or they have nobody to talk to and that's where friends for good comes in so in this episode you'll get to hear a little bit about laura's journey and the friends for good program and if you want to get involved or you want to learn more about it there'll be a link to the website in the show notes so i hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode here is my interview with laura rowan Welcome to episode 14. I'm interviewing Laura Rowan about the Friends for Good program. So Laura, you've heard, the audience heard a little bit about you. Uh, Did you want to give us a bit more detail, anything we might have missed and tell us about your role and what you're doing? Okay, sure. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So my background is I've been working for about 15 years in the community services sector. Um, Academically, my background is in human rights and community development. Um, But I started work in the community sector, working with uh, children and young adults with disabilities. Uh, And like many of us, I've tried a few other things as well. Um, I've worked in aged care, residential um, and community-based care. Uh, Went to uni, left uni, went back to university again. Um, And now I'm involved certainly as a co-founder and general manager with Friends for Good. Um, And my day job um, is I manage a neighbourhood house um, here in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, Wow, that's a lot that you're balancing. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to. And I will probably pick your brain at the end about some sort of uh, self-care tips and how you separate some of those things that are consuming hobbies that have become a full-blown organisation in itself and your day job. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to discuss that. I might get some tips myself. (laughs) So tell us about the Friends for Good program. Okay, so Friends for Good um, was established in 2016. Um, So Patricia Laurie and my co-founder and I, uh, we had worked together in a community service organisation and we were working with seniors uh, and adults with disabilities um, with the sort of main cohorts. And we kept on hearing a lot of interesting things from people. We kept on hearing people telling us that they were lonely. They wouldn't necessarily use the word lonely, um, but that was certainly the feeling that they were describing and the experience that they were having. Um, Many of these people that um, we were working with were very well socially connected um, and supported in their communities to be connected. Um, Because as we know, sometimes as we age or due to the nature of disability or where we live, we might need some assistance to get out and about to engage in social activities. Um, So we were basically hearing from a group of, shall we call, well-resourced individuals that they weren't getting enough social contact. Um, You know, floated around a few different jobs after that. um, And again, it was a theme consistent from Uh, working with diverse groups within the community around the importance of social connection and being able to have that connection. Things like, I really love coming to these events or I love this place, I get to talk to people. Um, So Patricia and I did a bit of the classic, someone should do something about this style pondering. (laughs) Um, 
And then we said that, well, you know what? Let's back ourselves and let's bloody do it. Why don't we be the someone? So our initial conversations around starting an organisation were very different from where we are today. We've certainly learnt a lot on the way. Um, I'm one of those big picture people and Patricia's a very much a detailed person. So she certainly has many years experience uh, in the community services sector at CEO levels, operationally, um, has done some fantastic work herself as well. So um, combined with our skills, um, we were very methodical about what we were looking at. And we thought simply, why don't we start an organisation that's based around the issue of loneliness? And here we are, friends for good, three years later down the track. Um, and we're doing work in that space to raise awareness of the issue, um, to educate ourselves and others about the issue. And one of the things that we focused on very early was addressing gaps in services. So looking at what we could do. Um, based on the knowledge that we were gaining from a research base about loneliness to actually put some initiatives in place to support people in our community who maybe want to uh, limit the impacts that loneliness might have on them or just connect with somebody. What were some of the gaps that you identified in that area? So one of the main things, um, perhaps one of the main things that... Um, we know loneliness doesn't discriminate. So it doesn't care how good looking you are, how rich you are, where you live, what you do, even how many friends you have. It doesn't discriminate. So a lot of services run between nine and five and there's a lot of reasons why that is the case. However, I mean, I don't know about yourselves or any listeners here, but I've certainly felt lonely in my life and it's a normal, natural thing to experience. But it wasn't really a nine to five thing. Um, there was not really, I've never had encountered a service that was just around um, understanding my experience of loneliness and supporting me with that. So our first service was is Friendline, um, which is just a telephone um, chat service. So it's not a counselling service um, or a crisis service. It's literally a national phone service that people can call just for a conversation. Um, so we talk to people from all over Australia. We have trained, supported volunteers who do that. Um, and it's literally just a conversation. And from having regular callers, we've been able to really see firsthand, as it were, the impact that we're, positive impact that we've been able to have just by providing a connection to somebody. So that was a good example for us of a, um, a gap in a service. Sometimes people find out about our services from groups like Beyond Blue or Men's Line or crisis telephone services um, because people are making phone calls to them thinking, well, I know someone's going to pick up the phone here. Um, whereas it's not uh, fitting in, in the nature of that crisis service, as you could imagine. Um, I have friends that work at community legal centres and they'll have people that just ring them often that they know, have come to know, um, because they know they'll have a conversation. Um, however, they don't have any, uh, they're not, currently engaged with that community legal service um, so they're not really able to spend time just generally conversing with someone but where do they refer somebody to just for a conversation and a bit of connection that's really interesting to see that um, I like your point about loneliness doesn't discriminate and how you can be well resourced but also feel lonely like they're very different things I imagine being alone and being lonely 
Yeah, so people often say, um, I talk at libraries or all sorts of places, I just I just talk. You can certainly ask my family, they'll vouch for that, and my wife. Um, but people say to me often, oh, Laura, but I really like my own company. I like being alone on my own. And I'm like, good luck to you. I don't know how you do it because there's always someone in my place. <laughs> but um, there's quite a difference, and it's important to us that we make a distinction between things like social isolation and loneliness. Um, and having an understand of loneliness. The first thing to understand, aside from the fact that it doesn't discriminate, is that loneliness is never desired. So sometimes you might think, oh, God, wouldn't it be lovely just to be at home an hour before everybody else got home and I can just do whatever you want to do, just have that alone time. But the feeling of loneliness is something very, very different. It's never a desired feeling. Um, and, you know, we can probably all relate to moments where we've felt alone, that we've had no connection or person to speak to. Um, and it doesn't feel good. Like, it, it literally doesn't feel good. And it's, you know, when we talk about um, some of the debriefing that we have with our phone service, it's difficult to hear stories about intense loneliness because emotionally they're very challenging. You know, people are describing things to you um, and the more you come to learn and through case studies of loneliness, it's difficult to hear about. It doesn't feel good. Um, so, yeah, that's almost like a very sort of a basic um, way of breaking it down that I think is really practical and maybe relatable. Yeah, I think your bit around it's not a desired feeling really captures that difference because I can definitely empathise with that. Oh, it's great to have a couple of hours at home to yourself or away from work yeah. where you want to just kind of recharge. And I think people might misunderstand that. I like being alone and recharging to chronic loneliness. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm an outgoing person, but I also, I don't know, <laughs> the older I get, um, some days I feel about four times my age, um, but the older I get, the more I am open to sort of solitude. And yeah, so, I, you know, as, as I mature as a person, I have a different relationship with being on my own. And, you know, for me, that's largely about self-care and, you know, how I apply that and how, how I know myself. Um, so, you know, sometimes at work, I just love shutting the office door. It doesn't stop people from coming in, but, um, you know, it's a bit of a signifier. I just need a bit of space or, you know, you might be on the phone or something really practical like that, but can really make a difference in your day. So we think it's important that people understand that loneliness, you know, we're talking about the subjective feeling about the gap between a person's desired level of social contact and their actual level. Um, so we think about cliches as well, like, oh, you can feel alone in a room full of people. And that's kind of edging a bit more to sort of social isolation. You might think, I don't know anybody in this room, so I don't have a depth of connection with someone. And that's what we're talking about with loneliness and reaching out to people. Um, you know, social isolation is, again, an objective measure of the number of contacts that people have. And it's about quantity, not quality. So a good example of that is um, a friend of mine has recently gone back to work um, from parental leave. Um, and as part of her transition, but, you know, all of a sudden she's a, a full-time working, high-achieving young woman and she's at home all day staring at this tiny human being going, I don't know what to do. Um, and so for her, a bit of social contact was around, she made a pact with herself, okay, every second day I'm going to have a coffee at my local coffee shop. So I don't care how we get there or what state I'm in or how good my hair looks, but I just 
I'm going to have that coffee around other people. So I'm feeling a bit less socially isolated. And that was a way for her to just increase the connection. Yep, don't have the coffee at home. Just walk down the street. It was easy for her to be able to do that. Um, but again, it gave her the ability to be around people. Um, and she instantly felt um, much more positive about that. You know, that's a good example too of the way that um, social isolation can be um, addressed more quickly if that's uh, not too grammatically incorrect. So um, reducing that social isolation is something um, that you can do a bit more easily. And, of course, you know, everything's on a spectrum. But loneliness, trying to diminish the negative feelings from that, can often take longer um, to sort of lessen those feelings. So what are some of the things that you've either come across in research or anecdotally through the people that call the phone line are the causes or the reasons why some people find themselves suddenly lonely or has it been uh, slowly progressing that way? What are some of the different scenarios that we might not consider to be vulnerable members of the community? Yeah, look, that's a really great question. One of the great challenges in Australia is the lack of longitudinal, particularly research. Um, so a great deal of research about loneliness has taken place and is very centred in the United Kingdom and North America. Um, there's certainly more research happening here and that's something that we're involved in as well and supporting nationally with uh, lots of networks um, and focus groups. So trying to get a picture of loneliness in Australia is really, really difficult. But all the research tells us things that, um, you know, loneliness is associated with the physical problems and it's, sorry, it's estimated that loneliness and the physical problems associated with it will kill more people than obesity. Yeah, I've heard that before, that it really exacerbates any existing health condition. Yeah, absolutely. So things like cardiac health, so your cardiac outcomes are really reduced. You know, chronic loneliness, so that real thin, pointy edge of the wedge there poses a significant risk for your long-term health and, and longevity as cigarette smoking. So we know that it is immensely detrimental to our health. So the thing that we were concerned about when we started the telephone service and we put a lot of um, training and resources towards were if people were going to call us in crisis, how would we respond and support them? How would we be um, ethical, professional and um, efficient at doing that? Now, touch wood, um, we haven't had any crisis calls what we do see, however, that the people who are telephoning us have many layers of disadvantage that they are living with. So they might often have um, a chronic physical health condition, um, chronic mental health uh, challenges. Um, sometimes, you know, one could imagine that those combination of factors would reduce someone's ability to get out on their own. You know, you limited finances, so oh, I can't catch a taxi today, so I can't go to the shops and see people because I can't afford it. Um, some of those sort of challenges as well. We're certainly speaking to more men than we are women, uh, which is really great because, you know, anyone who's worked in the health service trying to, or, you know, certainly seen campaigning around uh, mental health and preventative strategies, which is really the space that we're in, in a sense, um, for men, can be very, very challenging. However, they're very happy to call us and have a chat. Um, perhaps it's the anonymous nature of that that makes it um, more accessible to them. I'm not sure. 
Um, however, this could all change next week with the calls that we get. Um, so we're speaking to a lot of basically middle-aged men, um, but anybody calls us. We might have calls that, oh, look, I'm, you know, a 20-something-year-old person. Um, I've just had a terrible day at work. I just wanted to talk to someone about it. I just want to talk about something. I just want to have a connect chat with someone who doesn't know me. I can just kind of leave it there and sort of park that conversation, if you will. Um, certainly an age, a range of ages um, that we, of people that we speak to. Um, and often people, you know, have do have close family members. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes we are hesitant to talk to a family member. There's certainly a lot of stigma that surrounds loneliness and saying, hey, I feel lonely or I have been lonely. Um, and I think, you know, that can be quite problematic when we're sort of trying to address it head on with people um, and talk about it. A lot of our callers don't even say explicitly that use the word loneliness as well. Um, so, yeah, there can be um, some, you know, challenges that people might have there. But as I said earlier, loneliness doesn't discriminate uh, and the diversity of our callers certainly reflects that as well. What are some of the things that you, like if you didn't need your service to exist, so if you wanted to put all the things and all the policies in place to make your service not be needed, what would that look like? What would we be doing as a community? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Um, we would be doing so many things. I think um, I think it's important to focus on what we are doing well and and the areas that um, people are getting support uh, without even recognising it. So what I mean by that is um, a couple of months ago I was unwell and I went to my GP. Now it's been a while since I spent time in their GP's waiting room, um, and everybody in that waiting room was certainly over 60-something, um, were all on a first-name basis and it was a real social hub. The GP's office. The GP's office. It was <laughs> amazing. So everybody knew everybody. We're chatting about this. Some fellas telling the receptionist about his roses. Um, all this sort of stuff was happening. So, you know, I understand from that particular scenario that, you know, people were going to their regular appointments um, but it was more than that, you know. So uh, for, for many people in that waiting room, visiting the doctor wasn't just about getting their medical needs seen to. Um, you know, we prioritise our physical health, um, but we do so over our mental health um, and don't realise some of the connection that we get from different places at different times. So, you know, um, a, a, an elderly woman I worked with said to me, you know, the postie doesn't even come every day anymore. So she would be lucky to have about two visitors a week. Um, yeah, so the posties, you know, she would stand there and have a chat to the postie. That doesn't even happen anymore. So where we get interaction from people, it comes from really different places. Certainly we would love to see a lot of things from a top-down approach, from um, a government directive point of view, from a federal government that resources community services, that understands the issue around loneliness, that understands the benefit of interaction that people get from a variety of services, you know, that would fund and resource research um, and would be really a multifaceted approach. And I could probably talk for about five weeks about all the different things that we would like to see integrated better into a healthcare system, into community services sector, 
um, that would support the whole of our communities. Um, but just thinking about, you know, thinking a bit laterally around the, you know, the places where you go where you get other interactions. So, you know, half of those people probably didn't need to have a medical appointment to get their script, but it was an opportunity for a social interaction with somebody they knew where they felt valued and acknowledged. So what kind of ways can we support people to feel those things as well? And just having things like a national dialogue like we have with um, our first conference last year, um, actually talking about the issue. Um, it was really interesting for me at our national conference last year um, we invited people to share uh, their thoughts on loneliness anonymously on cards, um, thoughts, feelings, ideas. Um, and it was really interesting because I was thinking as a professional and as someone who involved in this organisation, you know, leading up to it for some time, I was thinking merely, oh, they're going to talk about their clients or service users. But many of the things that people said were really quite personal. And I thought, Oh, I was really naive. <laughs> this is probably the first time that a group of people have been, ever been asked, what do you think about loneliness? Or just to think about loneliness, like have you ever felt lonely? Or just been invited to talk about the issue itself. Um, so, of course, then it would make sense that there would be some rather um, insightful personal reflections as well. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question very well, but there, there are many, many things that um, I think that we could do, certainly, to support resource um, a lot of different sectors of our community and services to better enable for connection of individuals. So that sounds like a really big plan and you're taking some steps in that direction, especially with having that symposium. But thinking mm -hmm. about the, um, I know you said there was a difference between that subjective and objective measure of sort of being connected, but then not feeling like being around people, but not feeling connected. And then mm -hmm. that kind of chronic isolation that can lead to loneliness. Mm -hmm. What can people do on a kind of an individual level? So if we're looking at you know, the people listening, um, you know, there's a chance that there might be someone in their lives that they already know who might be accessing a service like yours, because they might not feel that they can be vulnerable because that might be that stigma. Like how do we, you know, what are some practical things that the audience can do just to start shifting that on a local level? Say hello, literally to reach out. So in terms of addressing, okay, we might be able to identify our own loneliness, for example. Uh, certainly the research suggests that we concentrate on the relationships close to us and solidifying, if you will, those relationships and then looking to branch out. So um, shore up what you already have. Um, I would just tell people to reach out. One of the most successful things we did also at the conference was to have, we, a volunteer suggested we get postcards and we put a stamp on the back and encourage people to send if, if there's someone you haven't spoken to for a while or who you know would like to get a bit of mail, send them a postcard. I don't know about you, but all I ever get in the mail are bills and um, advertising rubbish. I love, so, getting, I love getting postcards. I've got a whole box of them and I have a few friends that I don't care that you're only going away for three weeks. They know I love yeah. a postcard and it makes you feel so special. The last time I sent a postcard, I... I was back in the country um, for three weeks when it arrived. It was rather hilarious. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was a child, I, I grew up in country Victoria 
and um, I used to write letters to my great-grandmother who I grew up with. Now, she lived about a 40-minute drive in town. But we used to write letters, and I still have those letters, and I look at them, and it's a lot about me talking about the weather as, like, an 8-year-old, and my baby brother, my, you know, 30-something-year-old baby brother now. And they're things that I keep, and, you know, I have a, a connection to those, but it's really exciting. Every now and then I'll send... Um, something to my niece and nephew and their understanding of the mail is really different. They're like, Oh, did dad get something from Amazon? And I'm like, no, no, I sent you something, mate. He's like, Oh, um, so they just think you should buy things on the internet and then they turn up. And I'm like, no, you can write to people as well. And they're like, Oh, like a text. And I'm like, yep, yeah, like a text. Um, so I just suggest for people just to, to reach out. If there's somebody that they know, um, then say say hello if they think oh I haven't spoken to that person in a while just literally reach out to them as well um I think that's a really nice one like I remember listening to I was at a uh, one of the social work breakfast for international social work day and we were talking a little bit about loneliness and connecting and you know even just challenging people like the next interaction you have with someone instead of sending a text or an email just pick up the phone or if they're in your office building walk over to their desk yeah so just walk could, over to the desk so it could be just kind of one upping those interactions and even if it's a friend you haven't spoken to for a while it could just be calling if you get their voicemail just say you know hey we haven't chatted in a while just checking in thinking of you because sometimes the world works in weird ways where every friend that i've done that with it's kind of like they've almost needed that at that time and you you know there's never a wrong time to kind of just reach out and say you know i'm just here for you absolutely look as i said i grew up in the country and so we my one of my favorite things when we were kids was to go visiting so you would just i don't know drop in on someone basically um might have morning tea or something like that but when you were kids it was like oh cool we get to get out of the house um and they're probably going to be cake there um so you know don't underestimate the value that food has in bringing people together as well um you know in your workplace, it could be something as simple as, um, oh, you know, you might be going to make a coffee. Um, oh, does anyone want a coffee while I'm here? Or, you know, any of those kind of little things that actually kind of bigger, could be a bigger gesture for someone as well. Um, I work in an environment with a whole team of volunteers um, and in a very busy community centre. We have a drop-in space and I'm forever saying the most powerful tool that we have is a kettle. Someone might come in needing some emergency relief. They might come in asking for a toilet. They might just wander in saying, oh, what do you do here? They might come and attend a class. But the minute you put that kettle on, A, it buys you a bit of thinking time, so how you might respond to somebody's needs or your perception of their needs. But, you know, it kind of slows things down. Oh, no, you don't have to leave. Have a cuppa. Um, we'll see what we've got for you or sure here's some information about what we do here. We just put the kettle on. Would you like a cuppa? Um, and, you know, that's where all that connection has. Um, similarly with volunteers as well, that, you know, a large part of volunteering is not just giving of your skill and, and receiving that satisfaction as well, but it's an ability to form new relationships, friendships, and whilst contributing to a cause that obviously is something that you're supportive of as well. It sounds like some really good ideas. So hopefully our audience members are taking note and don't forget about the humble kettle. Um, it was the most powerful tool. And I think perhaps maybe even for a social worker, maybe the most powerful tool you have at times. 
Um, oh, ab- absolutely. Like yeah. <laughs> I like it really for that thinking time and I can be right. I'm triaging what's happening. Um, but yeah, I'm also, you know, it's an open, warm, inviting gesture to someone to, to share some time together, which is really just what people want sometimes. Yeah, I think it definitely goes a long way. So when you established the program, you know, you were saying that there's all these problems and we've noticed this, so let's do something about it. Why not us? What are some of the challenges you faced in getting essentially a whole program, national program up and running from from the ground up? Um, fortunately, we had had some experience in different levels and over different times of um, forming organisations. So things like that high-level governance and, um, you know, some of those more formal technicalities of, um, you know, developing a board, policies, registering a charity, all those sort of processes. We, we had resources and support there. So we had contacts and we had a very good sense of what we were doing. Um, we did early feasibility studies. We looked at what organisations were out there. We looked at where the gaps were um, and at constantly refining what is it that we actually want to do? What's the issue or um, what do we want to hang a hat, our hats on on this? Um, and then came up with loneliness. Um, like any not-for-profit organisation or charity, funding is an ongoing challenge. So at this stage, we're completely reliant on donations. Um, time management is something that is really important and I think that's like a lifelong learning um, for most people, certainly for me. Um, so managing things like, you know, we had to recruit board members, we had to write position descriptions, we had to think of what, what we were going to call the organisation. Uh, we had some very terrible ideas that we were convinced we're brilliant and we are so amazing. Oh, my God, everyone's going to love us. Um, and then we would sound it off someone um, whose opinion we valued and we were immediately shot down. And, um, yeah, you know, we realised we weren't maybe as fantastic as we thought. Um, I think we're still fantastic, by the way. Um, so being able to have a good team around us um, to be a strong sounding board for some of those things was really, really valuable and hugely important. Um, but definitely at this stage, I would certainly say the time management has been really challenging. So um, whether it's things like, you know, recruiting, screening, training volunteers, certainly that's a, a very involved process and a very important one but it all takes time as well. So sort of doing that after hours, um, you know, making things work, getting the most out of the 24 hours you have in the day um, has been very challenging. Learning how to delegate things um, and find people, match people to the skills that you need them to have. Um, Yeah, it's certainly a process um, and that's definitely an ongoing learning for me as well. So Juggling that with, um, you know, full-time work and a busy home life. Um, I'm just trying to think if I was. Did you ever want to give up? Like, did it ever get just so messy and so complicated that you thought maybe I just, this isn't going to happen? There there have been a couple of times where I have openly said, what the hell are we doing? Um, But I think for us, we're pretty stubborn women, so um, and we have a very, very strong conviction and commitment to what we're doing because we know that it's so important. 
you know, we know firsthand from the experiences of my own experience, from the experiences of others that we're hearing about, the, from the more and more research that we do, that this is a huge issue that can, we cannot afford to overlook. Um, and we are capable of responding to this in a thoughtful, meaningful way. So our own stubbornness and resolve kind of gets us over that, oh, what the hell are we doing pretty quickly? And it usually goes on to, oh, we just need to go and buy ourselves a nice drink and we'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, we definitely need to go out for a drink because that's what we're doing wrong. We're not having enough fun. Um, and, you know, this, this is the way we talk to one another at times. Um, behind the scenes so yeah just making sure that we're supportive of each other um, and that we do you know set things up in a way where we are able to delegate and um, take a break as well I'm, I'm just trying to think I may have also I think when we just started I just finished studying full-time as well I went back and did my master's online full-time and was working full-time and juggling a family as well so it was sort of in that stage I was like, look, you know what? I've taken on so much in the last couple of years. That's coming to an end. I might as well just keep going and plough ahead and let's start a national organisation. So I was very deep in the mindset of I'm already doing a lot. Let's just keep going with that for better or worse. It sounds like you wouldn't have been able to do that had you not really refined that kind of vision and value. So having that really clear okay, this is it, it's loneliness and having those feasibility studies and understanding the gaps because one thing I can see some people doing is not being specific enough and then just not, it, it's hard to then put in place all those other things if you don't know exactly what it is that you're going to have a direct impact on. Absolutely. And that was so important to us because we didn't want to duplicate anything. You know, now I'm having flashbacks of, you know, we practically had spreadsheets of, organizations types of organizations like um yeah like a further refinement of the issue or it took us a long time to actually boil things down to loneliness and that was through research as well and like no but what are we actually talking about here we're talking about a lack of access to community-based services are we talking about a medicalized approach to something you know lots of different things it went back and forth um in lots of different, you know, really big picture stuff to some more sort of nuts and bolts. What's the actual problem? Um, you know, can we, can we articulate that? So, yeah, it, that was crucial to um, getting to the point where we were working with our first board of management around that as well, um, having facilitated strategic planning days where we did refine um, and get a lot of input into defining our vision and mission. Um, and they, that is our guiding principles. So um, what we came up with and what we have is that we say loneliness is a big problem and it's a big problem for a lot of people. But overseas research shows how dangerous loneliness is for our health, including the increased risk of heart disease, depression and anxiety and how it's a growing problem. So what we want to do is simple. We want to free people from loneliness. The task is enormous, but it's one that we certainly believe that we can do. So um, wanting just that statement, we want to free people from loneliness, hours of work went into that. Um, and, you know, now it looks like a very simple, oh, geez, that's a bit huge, but okay, yeah, I get that. Um, you know, all the there's a lot of elements involved in that and we certainly believe in all of them. Um, 
and yeah, I think it's just a really nice, clear statement about what we want to do. Yeah, I yeah. think that's, that's really beautiful. And it helps you then, I think, in those darker moments when things are just becoming too hectic, actually think this is my, my mission and every small step I take is contributing to that bigger kind of value. Yeah, and, you know, in talking in our mission that Friends for Good raises awareness of loneliness as a significant issue in the community and addresses gaps in services to foster a greater sense of connection and well-being for individuals and communities. So Friendline, our first service, uh, it operates from 6 to 8 p.m. in the evening. So as we talked about earlier, a gap in service. Um, it's outside business hours. Um, so there was an opportunity that we felt was really important to offer something at that sort of time. We also have an online, you can also access the service as an online chat as well during the day. Um, so, you know, we're, there are ways that we're trying to make it accessible for lots in lots of ways um, and addressing an actual gap in a service because where can you go just for a, a chat? Yeah, that sounds really, it sounds like you've, it's so thought out and so well um, crafted. For those listening who might want to get involved, what are some ways that they can get involved with Friends for Good? What do you need? What's on your wish list? Oh, I've got a very extensive wish list. Um, so before I ask everyone for their money, of course. No. Um, so number one, just go visit our website. So friendsforgood.org.au. Um, there is information there about research. Um, you know, there's no point in having fancy research if no one can understand it. So we like to talk about it, break it down and disseminate it so we can all sort of share information. Um, you can find out, email us if you're interested in joining our, our networks. Um, so we have a network um, where a variety of organisations, we get together, have meetings, um, and what we want to do is put together coordinated responses to um, addressing issues of loneliness. Um, so you can find out more about that. Um, you might want to volunteer. You can download a flyer for Friendline, so you might pin it up in your workplace you might um, suggest to a client perhaps that they give us a call or a friend or anybody like that um, jump on the website have a look talk to a friend about loneliness um, you know we, can, we all have a role in um, addressing the stigma around things like loneliness so let's just have those conversations talk about it you might ask ask someone if they've felt lonely or you might just say hey you know you know when I first went to university or when I first moved here or there or whatever it is I actually felt really lonely and you know today things are very different but reflect on that share that story with someone it could have a really positive impact thank you that's such a good list and I'll um, put links to all those things that you mentioned in the show notes so people can uh, go to the website, look at how to print out a flyer, read some of your blog posts and see how they want to get involved. So spreading the message or starting to just reach out to people near and far. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's we've covered quite a lot in that time and I'd like to ask you a bit more about how you balance and the self-care, but I think you've kind of touched on that a bit around having just a bit of time for yourself, but any kind of words of wisdom around trying to I know you said you've got your strong resolve and your strong conviction to what you're doing and a little bit of stubbornness there, but what's left for you? Um, in terms of self-care? Yeah, and just kind of how do you balance that really busy life where you're juggling so many things? I have no idea. It's a work in progress. Um, so 
I'm trying. I'm trying to be more versed in the art of saying no to things. Um, I think that for me, I like to make. Sh- I remind myself constantly that I'm completely replaceable. So I don't want things to rely on me specifically to in order to work. Um, we all bring something different to the table, and 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 there's richness in that. So whether it be making sure I document a system, so. I can um, recruit a skilled volunteer or mentor a volunteer into a particular position or responsibility, um, you know, um, things, things like that. And those are really practical kind of sense of the things. Um, and just seeing the value in the, in, yeah, having diversity. So making sure that you're supported by a diverse team of um, colleagues or volunteers and, you know, those kind of community of praxis things, for me is something that's really important as well. Um, in the community centre work I do, I'm a sole worker, so I'm the only employee there. Um, so it's a really unique setup. Um, so I make sure I'm involved as much as possible in communities of praxis. So I can talk with colleagues about other things or I can just listen um, and engage there. Um, and like, you know, I do photography, is quite a passion and hobby of mine. Uh, it gets me outside walking um and doing different things too so for me that's something really important um where I can just completely step away and it you know I can sort of balance home and work and all those kind of things that we um that we do in life but certainly as I mentioned earlier the older I get the more open to things I am um so I'm more open to certainly open to suggestions you've probably got far better tips than I do about some of this self-care so I'd be happy to hear them as well no, I think I think I really liked your bit of saying no because that's a really hard boundary for some people to put up when you're a helper in a helping profession. You're often working with vulnerable people and you want to help friends and family or give ideas or and sometimes you just can't. And being yeah. even just taking a moment and saying, Let me get back to you, like just really assessing do I need to squeeze another five minutes out of my day or can I just say I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. Like, that's huge because that's really just checking in with where you're at. Yeah, and, you know, um, I find it interesting. When, uh, one of my first uh, lectures at university for community development, our teacher had said, look, if you're here to save the world, go to the next door and be an engineer, <laughs> um, which I thought was quite funny. Um, so sometimes, you know, I question too, like, do I want to actually do that? And and um, I have a bit of a spew with some of my volunteers at work sometime around saying, like, oh, no, I'm not here to help people. And they sort of look at me sideways and I'm like, now I've got your attention. I'm here to help people, but I'm not here to do things for them. Um, so, you know, that some of that comes around to my sort of style of practice and, and discipline and things. Um, but, you know, doing things in different ways as well. I don't have to be the person that does that. Um, and just making sure we're all having those conversations together. As you say, giving yourself space, going, actually, that's not something that I, I'm very good at doing or I don't know a lot about that. Perhaps you could ask somebody else or suggesting someone else that they get assistance from or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, we don't have to always have the answers. And it's difficult, as you said, when we're in those helping professions and, you know, we're the kind of people who want to help and support others um, personally as well as professionally. So, yeah, where do you draw those boundaries can can be really challenging but really important to ask the questions of ourselves. Absolutely. And that's a really nice, um, I guess, a note to kind of end it on. Thank you so much for going through all that detail around loneliness and your program and what people can do on an individual and community level. I think it's a really topical conversation and 
I think it's really interesting to see the difference between people accessing services for mental health support when really it's wanting a chat and how that need going unmet can actually then lead to a mental health problem. So I can see that there's a real link between those services and we're not doing enough on that prevention end. So to very much identified a big gap in the, in the market there. Certainly have. <laughs> Um, and thanks so much. So I'll put all those notes up um, onto the website, into the show notes, so people can access um, the flyer, you know, have a bit of a chat about loneliness, check out your website. Thank yeah. you so much. My pleasure. Wow, what an amazing human. The work that Laura has done is absolutely incredible. So I encourage you to have a look at the website and think about what you can do as an individual to help address loneliness. Is it picking up the phone and calling someone instead of sending a text? Is it getting to know your neighbors a little bit better? How can you contribute to this cause, to this fight? So thanks for listening to another episode of the Inside Social Work podcast. Please get in touch, check out the Facebook group, send me a private message. You can contact me via email. You can go to the website. I really love to hear what you're up to, what you're aspiring to as new social workers or as more experienced social workers. We get a lot of varied listeners on this podcast, which is really awesome to hear. I always read emails. So if you've got some ideas for an episode, if you've got any questions, get in touch. I'd love to make this as relevant to you as possible. Have a great day. Bye.